are Locked On Mariners, your daily Seattle Mariners podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Mariners, your home for daily Seattle Mariners news and analysis brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the Spotify Greenroom app and find one of our Locked On rooms. Thank you so much for making us your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all platforms. It is Wednesday, October 13th, 2021. I am your host, Tidane Gonzalez, joined as always by my co-host, Colby Patnode. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners. You can follow me at Dane Gonzalez. That's D-A-N-E-G-N-Z-L-Z and Colby at CPAT11. That's C-P-A-T-1-1. Be sure to also check out our Patreon where we talk about the Mariners even more. Also get into some non-baseball talk twice a week. New episode coming out for all of our patrons later today. Visit patreon.com forward slash control the zone for more information on that. On today's episode of Locked On Mariners, it is What If Wednesday. Yes, we're continuing with the theme days. And today we have a very interesting What If to debate on today's show what if the mariners didn't trade kendall graveman back in july and then we're going to talk about the reality of it all and how we feel about abraham toro then we're going to wrap things up by discussing the fallout of the kendall graveman trade so if you like what you hear give the show a follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to this we greatly appreciate it so colby what if the mariners didn't trade kendall graveman and didn't get abraham toro uh, I think the most likely outcome, uh, honestly, is that they, they don't win 90 games. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not to say that Toro was, you know, otherworldly. Um, he mm-hmm. was pretty good for August, and then he was really bad in, in uh, you know, he was really bad in September and October. Uh, but that's not all that surprising. Uh but I don't think they win 90 games because I don't believe that they, I don't believe that you could be a 90 win team and run out Dylan Moore for the next, you know, 70 games or so. Um, does that make sense? Like think about not, not think about what Abraham Toro, even the bad version of Abraham Toro, think about what he gave you even in just the month mm-hmm. of August, you, you went from your second base position being, you know, one of the worst offensive positions in all of baseball to in August being one of the best. Abraham Toro was really good in August and it really helped you. It also allowed you to use more, more in a way that is more conducive to his skill set. He got to play more outfield, which helped your outfield defense, which was terrible. Uh, and you really didn't miss Graven out of the bullpen all that much. I, I know it's easy for people to point at, you know, the couple blown saves here and there and, and, you know, the couple of times the bullpen didn't get the job done, but it's worth noting that there's no guarantee that Graveman would have gotten that job done. And in fact, Graveman helped the Mariners win two games against the Astros after he was traded. He served up the yeah. grand slam to Abraham Toro. He also gave up a run to Jake Fraley or sorry, to Jake Bowers and JP Crawford that made a game two to one. And of course, in the next inning, France tied it with a home run. That doesn't matter if, if Graveman doesn't give up the run with two outs on a double to mm-hmm on back-to-back doubles by uh, Jake Bowers and, and J.P. Crawford. So I ultimately, I don't think the trade hurt them at all. I think it helped them. So yeah. by that simple logic, I don't think the Mariners win 90 games if they have Kendall Graveman and not and not Abraham Toro and uh, Joe Smith. So 
Um, so what do you yeah. think they would have done had they not gotten Toro in the infield? Do you think they would have stood pat or, you know, cause we know that the Royals were just asking an astronomical return for Whit Merrifield and he didn't end up getting dealt. Um, do you, th- obviously Adam Frazier had already been traded at that point to the Padres. So like, where would the Mariners have turned to at that point? Because they, they, they hadn't really made any deals up to that day. Uh, the the Diego Castillo trade didn't happen. The Tyler Anderson trade hadn't happened yet. So what do you think would have happened there? Because they, they needed a bat. Jerry DePoto was very open about wanting to get that bat. It ended up being Toro, surprisingly, and they probably should have added another bat. But you know, where else could they have turned at that point? Yeah, it's, it's tough to really... Uh, no, because again, we did hear them linked to Whit Merrifield, but they were asking for Kelnick, Julio, Kirby. Like that's that's a ridiculous asking price. Um, and honestly, there weren't a lot of outfielder or infielders that were available. I, I don't think they, I don't think they turned to Javi Baez. I mean, it cost the Mets Pete Crow Armstrong to get Baez, and so yeah. you know, from Seattle standpoint, it's do you want to trade you know Zach Deloach? for you know two months of Javi Baez probably not uh they didn't spend big on any rentals at the deadline it doesn't sound like that was something they wanted to do um and you can understand why so I I don't know exactly where they go with the infield I'm sure they would have found something uh but it probably but it it couldn't have even been Jonathan Scope because the Tigers didn't want to trade Scope so he wasn't even an option and then Scope eventually signs the extension so yeah, it, it's tough to say where they would have gone for for help. They des- desperately needed a second baseman, and Frazier was off the market at this point. Uh, we know the Mariners were interested, and they were in on those talks for Frazier. Um, you know, we know they had talks with Whit Merrifield that didn't go anywhere. We know that you know they were looking at Scope, but Scope and Detroit were working out an extension. We just didn't know that at the time. So yeah, it's hard to say where they would have gone, but it probably wouldn't have been all that good. Maybe they pivot to Josh Harrison, maybe. Yeah. But again, that that's a rental. You know, they they didn't seem all that interested in giving up top prospects for rentals. Um mm-hmm. you know, they gave up uh Carter Benz. Thank you. I, I, I wanted yeah. to say Carter Caps. Uh, they gave up Carter Benz for <laughs> Tyler Anderson. But Benz is a guy who's probably a career backup catcher, which is good. I mean that that's a valuable yeah. piece, but it's pretty mm-hmm. replaceable and you know, they needed Anderson to stabilize that rotation. They had to have a number five starter. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's tough to say where they would have gone with that. I, my guess is they would have pivoted to probably somebody like Josh Harrison, but you can understand why it, it was just better for them to go get Toro. Yeah. And now they have Toro for the next three seasons and, uh, or four seasons. Uh, and uh, that worked out pretty well for them. And of course that brought the, my favorite moment of the entire year, the grand slam off of Kendall Graveman, of course. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, 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 what do you think would have happened with the clubhouse though? Do you think that they would have gone on that slump for the next week? Yes. After the trade happened? Yes, I do. Yeah, You don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't put a ton of stock into the clubhouse, uh, the, the cult, the team chemistry thing either. That's silly. Uh, the team was no. able to recover. They had great moments down the stretch. They all came together just fine. Um, they were playing the Astros. 
mm-hmm. who are very good, especially as we're seeing in the uh, in the playoffs right now. They are a very good baseball team, not just mm-hmm. against the Mariners, uh, way right. better than the Mariners. Uh, and and uh, and then you know they went down to Texas and had some bad luck. Yeah. Now, do you um, think that they would have traded for Diego Castillo still? Yes. Mm-hmm. I do. I I, I think yeah. that because Castillo is not a, a short term fix, he wasn't. I don't think Castillo was spe- specifically acquired to help them make the playoffs this year. Now he certainly did. I mean that that was one of the, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to call it an unintended qu- consequence because that was part of it. But Castillo was acquired this year so that the team can go into the off season and say we're pretty good at with our bullpen. Like we don't need to add significantly to it. Um, I mean, obviously they're going to add around the fringes and things like that, but Hey, you know what? It, it kind of goes in with the, the whole Depoto thing of like, let's build our 2022 bullpen. Mm-hmm. Let's build it last winter and this spring um, and, or this spring and summer. And that's basically what he did. And, and Castillo was kind of the, the finishing piece on mm-hmm. what should be a pretty good bullpen next year. So I, I still think, yes, they, they were interested in Castillo. Um, you know, was there maybe a little more urgency to get it done after the Graveman thing? Sure. But, you know, overall, mm-hmm. because Castillo is so controllable and because he's basically better than Kendall Graveman, uh, I think that was something they were interested in all along. So real quick, before we hop on over, do you think the Mariners are interested in bringing Kendall Graveman back this offseason? No, not at the not at the cost. Um, he's mm-hmm. probably going to get a couple of years. He's probably going to get you know seven to ten million dollars. Seattle's not going to do that. Nope. They're you know what they're going to do? They're going to go find the next Kendall Graveman because that's what mm-hmm. they're good at. So um, yeah. before we you know, it's worth noting that one of the things that uh, the people who were ant you know anti Graveman trade they keep pointing out that the Mariners were one game back of the playoffs when they traded Graveman. And they just fell apart, and then they were four games back. And it's like, well, where did the Mariners finish? Which, by the way, is a BS argument. But where did the Mariners finish? At the end of the year, where were they? One game back. By the way, not for nothing, but on the day of the Graveman trade, they were uh, they were six games back of the Astros. At the end of the year, they were five games back of the Astros. And not for nothing, but prior to the Graveman trade, the Mariners had a 545 winning percentage after the Graveman trade. So from the day of the Graveman trade to the end of the year, they had a 634 winning percentage. So take your weak arguments and put them somewhere else because I'm not here to listen to them. The Mariners absolutely did well in that trade. And by the way, so did the Astros. It's going to be a win-win deal for both sides, and that's perfect because that's how it's supposed to work. So we're going to talk about what the uh, the Mariners got in return, the big piece that they got in return, Abraham Toro, and how we feel he uh, kind of fits into all of this heading into next year in just a moment. But real quick, a reminder, this episode of Locked On Mariners is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Greenroom is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with us, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. Colby and I will be hosting a room once per week so you can finally join in on the conversation you listen to here every day on Locked On Mariners. And Green Room is also the perfect place to start or join conversations about Major League Baseball as a whole and so much more as well. You'll find fans just like you on Green Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to big news or rumors. So go download the free Green Room app now, currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the MLB group for the latest 
latest league updates. And follow me at Dane Gonzalez, that's D-A-N-E-G-N-Z-L-Z, and Colby at Colby Patnode to be notified when our room goes live. I know you won't want to miss it. We can't wait to hear everyone's thoughts on the Mariners, so we'll see you there. Green Room, changing the way we talk sports. You're listening to Locked On Mariners. Thank you again for making us your first listen of the day. Every day we are free and available on all platforms. Colby, how do you feel about Abraham Toro moving forward? Uh, the, the guy obviously slumped a little bit towards the end of the season here, but when he first arrived in Seattle, which, I mean, he just walked across from dugout to dugout, <laughs> but when he got into that clubhouse, I mean, he he really you know added a strong presence in that lineup that they were just simply lacking obviously this was still a bad offense moving forward but i mean without him i mean uh, it could have been a lot a lot worse and he he was able to get on base quite a lot he was able to provide some power and he played a decent second base obviously had some struggles turning the double plays a little slow on that but Obviously, a very athletic guy. Um, how do you feel he fits into this? Do you do you see him as a starter uh, going into next year, or, or would you like him to be more of your super utility, who is still basically a starter without having a position to call home? Yeah, I, I like him more, and I it's it's funny because you know the player I'm about to comp him to is one that was you know an Astro, and he made his bones with the Houston Astros, and. I, I think mm-hmm. Abraham Toro is a really good fit for that Marwin Gonzalez type of role where, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's probably go- not going to play, you know, 100 games at any one position. But at the end of the year, you look up, he's going to have 450 to 600 plate appearances. He's going to have having played in 130 games and it's going to be, you know, 60 games at second, 50 at third, 10 in left field, a couple of first, a couple of DH. And he's just going to fill that role because what Toro is, and I feel very confident about this, Toro Toro is at least a league average bat. He is at least a 100 WRC yeah. plus guy. He's got some pop. He's got some speed. He's a good athlete. He did get significantly mm-hmm. better at second base, um, You know, ha- basically having never played there before he became a Mariner. He did steadily get better mm-hmm. and better. And while he's still below average, I think with an entire offseason and Perry Hill in spring training and all this stuff. I think Toro gets to at least average at second. We know he's at least average at third base, maybe a little bit better. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I think Toro is at the very least a league average bat who still has some power that he hasn't tapped into is an above average athlete with some base running skill who can play at least second and third. And if you can play second and third, you can also play first. Um, And I think he's a good enough athlete to, to pick up the outfield and at least not kill you out there. You know, 15 to 20 times a year. So I'd like Toro as that Marwin Gonzalez type. So he's not, he's not a starter in that you don't know where he's going to play every single day, but you feel like he's going to be in the lineup every day. And there's a non-zero chance that he is the guy we saw for about 70 games between June 17th, when he was recalled from AAA for the last time until about September 10th. Uh, until the, the Houston series uh, ended mm-hmm. uh, in that, in that 69 games, Toro in 282 plate appearances, pretty big sample size at this point. He hit 280, 355, 444 with 10 home runs and uh, 11 doubles. It's a pretty good player. Yeah. Finished the year with yeah. 1.7 uh, B war despite the bad defense and despite the awful final about month or so of the season. 
and that's in only 355 plate appearances. I, I think Abraham Toro is, is Marwin Gonzalez. I think he's going to be, you know, the Mariners Kiki Hernandez or, or, or Marwin Gonzalez. I, I think he's that good. Um, you know, can he play up the middle at second base or sorry, at shortstop or center field? Eh, probably not, but he doesn't have to. You have other guys mm-hmm. who can do that. So uh, I think he's mm-hmm. perfect in that. It, it's kind of, it's, I mean, like technically you would call it a bench role, but he's an everyday player who just plays a different position every day. He, he showed me enough this year that, hey, if he if he's starting and he's one of my, you know, he's not like one of my four best hitters, but he's in that top six, seven range, then yeah, that's great. You know, you need to get better. Obviously, you need to raise that bar. You need to raise your floor and your ceiling this offseason. And um, yeah, if Abraham Toro is, is starting, but he's hitting like six or seven in your lineup, um, and you can put a Meyer if you if you wanted to. I, I wouldn't have any real qualms about that, depending on who you add. But um, yeah, if he, if he's not like the like one of the three guys that you're solely dependent on, then great. He can start wherever you want him to start. I don't really care. Just you can make that work. He's a good baseball player. That again. Even if he's in that super utility role, he's probably playing every day anyway. But if you have him stick at one spot, whether that's third, whether whether that's at second, probably would be better for him to be at third, honestly. And and you can make up for some of the lack of power that he has at second if you say you know sign Marcus Simeon, who hit for a career high in home runs this year, right? So you you can make up for that lack of power, which and again he doesn't. Uh, wholly lack power either. I mean, he's he's going to hit ten to fifteen home runs uh, next year, but um, you know you can make that work uh, from a ro- roster construction standpoint. That's not going to be a problem whatsoever. So you can absolutely rock with Abraham Toro. I'm sure he'll uh, he'll also be mentioned here in some trade talks. I doubt that they'll trade him, but I'm sure that's probably going to be a guy that some teams ask about when they uh, when they you know, undoubtedly go after some of these bigger names in the trade market, whether that's a Jose Ramirez or someone like that. I'm sure a team like Cleveland would be interested in Toro. And obviously we we heard it, you know, when uh, they acquired Toro, that he's kind of the darling of analytics folks in, uh, in, in the game, that he's kind of on everyone's, on every baseball nerd's dream team, basically. Um, so, you know, there's definitely going to be interest in him, but I, I, I would be, Fairly surprised to uh, to not see him in a Mariners uniform on opening day. And if he's there and he's starting at third base, second base, whatever, again, you can make that totally work. Uh, so we're going to talk about the uh, the fallout of the Graven trade because obviously it was not just folks on the outside, you know, kind of losing it about the trade. Oh, you traded your closer, you blah, 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 blah. All that good stuff. Uh, it was also the clubhouse itself especially one particular name. We're going to talk about who that is and how that all came about and how we feel about that whole situation in just a moment. But real quick, a reminder of this episode of Lockdown Mariners is brought to you by Built Bar. Don't you hate it when you're out and about and hunger strikes, but the only convenient options are unhealthy and going to make you feel worse in the end? That doesn't have to be the case anymore if you choose Built Bar. 
Built Bar is providing folks with a healthy, nutritious, and delicious alternative for snacking. Built Bar has a plethora of delicious flavors ranging from coconut to cookies and cream, mint brownie, and so much more. Overwhelmed by the amount of good options, then try one of their mix boxes, which gives you two bars per nine flavors. Each bar includes 17 to 18 grams of protein with calories ranging from the low, low numbers of 130 to 180. You only have four to five grams of sugar, four to five grams of net carbs, and all the flavors are amazing, tasty, and most importantly, healthy. So go to built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 for 15% off your order at built.com. So after the Abraham Toro for Kendall Graveman trade was made, there was a article that came out from Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times, which described the overall atmosphere in the clubhouse and, and the attitude coming from some of the Mariners players in regards to, you know, the trade and, and how they felt about the trade. Obviously, Kendall Grayman was a respected member of that clubhouse, one a lot of guys were very close to. He had been there for a while, and, um, you know, it, 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 it rubbed some guys the, the wrong way, especially Kyle Seeger, who went to uh, Divish in that moment and uh, talked about how, Jerry DePoto's just up in the front office playing fantasy baseball. And, uh, you know, it, it just kind of set the tone for how, you know, the last few weeks have gone between Seeger and DePoto, where Seeger has said that he hasn't spoken to, to DePoto in years. And then DePoto comes back and says, well, you know, I talked to him this spring and I talked to his agent and, and all these things. And, and it's a lot of he said, she said uh, with this situation. But, of course, you know, the, the Kyle Seeger thing has kind of ended on a sour note. They tried to, you know, push that under the rug a little bit by giving him a, a, a really good send off. And that was great. And ultimately, that's what we should be focusing on here. But it definitely did not end in the way that we would all hope. And, uh, and it feels like the Graveman trade was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for Seeger and, and letting his feelings out about how he feels about the the team. So, Colby, you know, how do you feel about this whole situation with the team chemistry thing that blew up and all that and then how Seeger and some of the other players reacted to the to the Craveman trade? Yeah, you know, it's we talked about this a few times. It's uh it's disappointing that uh Kyle Seeger uh you know, after years of doing things the right way, he he finally cracked and he uh he went after Jerry in a way that, uh, you know, particularly the the I haven't talked to him in years thing. I think that's a lie. And obviously, I don't know. I, I, I don't, you know, we're not involved with those conversations. But when Jerry says I talked to him in spring training, um, I think that's probably accurate. I, I think it probably is. And, and um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not saying they had heart to hearts and they sat down for hours and and all that stuff, but I, I kind of don't believe Seeger, what Seeger's saying. And also, I, I think Seeger is is using Jerry as an excuse to be mad at, you know, basically management of the Seattle Mariners, um, which I understand. I, I do. I mean, you know, Depoto's boss called him, you know, overpaid and overrated, uh, you know, to the Bellevue Rotary Club, and, and they never were able to crack the playoffs in his, you know, 11 years with Seattle, and he watched you know, uh, he watched Felix Hernandez not make the playoffs and, and now they've traded his buddy. And so like, I can certainly understand why 
uh, Kyle was, was upset and it's not hard to see how or why he would, he would try to not protect himself, but try and, and make himself look like a victim as much as he possibly can. Like, Oh, they didn't treat me right. Even though they paid him a hundred million dollars and Oh, they, they did me wrong by trading my best friend with the assumption that Kyle Seeger somehow deserves veto power over trades. And, and you take a shot at Jerry DePoto, who is your boss. And, and, you know, and, and ultimately none of that's going to matter because Seattle had decided before the season started that they were not going to pick up Kyle Seeger's option. Um, but unfortunately I, I think, you know, Mariner fans in general, they're not ready for this conversation to be had that Kyle Seeger this year had a very selfish year. And I'll, I'll tell you what I mean by that, because I, I think a lot of people are, are already yelling and, and not happy. Um, but when you look at what Kyle Seeger decided this year, he very clearly decided that I am going to get mine and I'm going to hit home runs and get RBI because that is the way I think I'm going to get my last big contract. He made that decision. It's clear as day. You look at the numbers. He swung and missed out of the zone a lot more. He struck out a lot more. He walked a lot less. And while it's easy for us to sit here and say, well, he lost bat speed, so he was compensating, and he might have. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, I don't have bat speed analytics handy. Um, and maybe he did lose bat speed, so he's trying to compensate. But what I do not believe is that Kyle Seeger rolled into 2021 with a significantly slower bat than he rolled into 2020 with. And in 2020, he put up a 355 on base, which dropped 70 points in mm. one season. That's by design. That is 100% factually by design. Uh, nobody's bat drops off that severely. And by the way, the home runs didn't really help that much because his slugging percentage only went up five points. Statistically yeah. speaking, there is no difference between the slugging performance Seeger put up in 2020 as he did in 2021. There's just not any yeah. difference. He was 20% and, and I just want to clarify. I just Go want ahead. to clarify what you're saying, by the way, just just for folks that, that might be listening that might be a little confused. What you're saying is that Kyle Seeger isn't it didn't suck on purpose. He was selling no. out for power, for 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 numbers, for numbers that are going to look good in free agents free agency discussions. Yes, and again, and does did Kyle do this because he thought it would also help his team win? I think so, but it's really tough for me to look at these numbers and look at the drop. His strikeout percentage went up from 13.3% to 24%, which is by far a career high for him. What does that mean? It means he was chasing more pitches. The numbers bear this out. He was swinging and missing more. Mm. Why? Because he was trying to hit home runs. He wasn't going to be satisfied hitting 25 to 30. He wanted the 35. He wanted to push 40. Why? So that he could get paid this winter because he knew Seattle wasn't going to be the team that paid him. And now you stack on top of that the Mather comments and you stack on top of that, you know, just the general disgruntlement that Seeger clearly has had built up against the Mariners for the last few years. And it's the perfect storm for Seeger to go out and decide that he was going to get his regardless of what mm -hmm. the team wanted. And he was going to mm -hmm. go out and he was going to do whatever it took to hit more home runs because he thought that was going to get him paid. And the sad mm -hmm. thing about all of this is, is that, you know, Kyle Seeger actually made Kevin Mather look more 
honest when he said that Seager was overpaid because what Kyle Seager gave you this year was not worth $20 million. Wasn't. Yeah. Not even close. I mean, yes, at the end of the year, he had a 2.5 war. That's worth about $20 million. So if you want to use that metric, fine. But he dropped off 70 points in on-base percentage. He dropped 20 points in WRC+. plus. He dropped 29 points in batting average. Why? So that he could have five extra points of slugging percentage. He hurt his team. So when Kyle Seager goes out there and says, hey, you know what? Nobody gave us a chance. It's really hard for me not to roll my eyes and say, neither did you, Kyle, because the version of you that you were last year would have helped this team more than the version you decided to use this year. You made the conscious choice that I'm going to get mine. I'm going to go ahead and hit for more power. I'm going to get paid. And you looked out for yourself, which is perfectly fine. I'm not even, I'm not even blaming you for that. You know, this is your career. It's your life. You have to do what works for you. And the Mariners, they don't really deserve that much sympathy. I I understand that part, but the simple Mm -hmm. fact of the matter is, is that Kyle Seager made a decision to not be the best version of himself this year so that he can get paid. Mm -hmm. So when Seager goes out there and says, Oh, nobody in the media gave us a chance. Yeah. Kyle, you didn't think you were going to do this either because if you did, you probably wouldn't have gone with this all or nothing approach and you probably would have been more valuable to the team than you are right now. So Seager had an incredibly selfish year. Um, it's why I, I, I think it's time to move on. He did not do what was best for the team, and I completely understand why he didn't. But the facts are pretty I mean, obvious and, and clear. Kyle Seager knew he was heading out of town after this year, and so he set himself up to try and get the biggest contract he possibly could, made a, uh, you know, a career decision based on himself and his family, which is totally fine. I respect it. But it doesn't change the fact that Kyle Seager this year was not as good as he could have been, and that hurt the Seattle Mariners. Well, Twitter might be pretty interesting after uh, those statements that you made. <laughs> that should be fun. But it's, uh, you know, I, I got to be honest here before we hop off and, and we're running out of time here. So I, I just want to make this quick. But Kyle Seager rubbed me the wrong way this year as well. Um, for some of the things that I heard about from behind the scenes that, uh, you know, I don't care to get into right now. Um, but we've talked about that on, on previous shows and uh, for, um, you know, for what you talked about with, with selling out for power with, you know, openly challenging Jerry DePoto, which like, I know that Kyle Seager has the seniority. He, he's been here longer than DePoto, all that stuff. He's the leader of the team at that point or one of them, um, at least the face of it, I guess. Uh, but he, um, I just, I didn't think that was right. Uh, to do what he did and to do it anonymously. Um, it just, it seemed cowardly. silly and, and yeah, yeah, it was, it was cowardly. It just didn't seem like him really. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just didn't seem like Kyle Seeger in general. Uh, and look, I get it. You know, Kevin Mather came out and said those things about him and, you know, Mather's obviously gone now though. And I just, um, I don't, you know, and we don't know, Everything that goes on behind the scenes, of course, we hear things from people that we know sometimes, but we don't get the full picture. Obviously, you know, we get rumblings, and uh, and it's hard to construct everything based on that. But it's uh, it, it just didn't seem like there needed to be this huge rift between Kyle Seager and Jerry Depoto. And you know, look, I, I know a lot of people look at Depoto as kind of this huge car salesman, right? You know, with with the things that he says and and the PR stuff that he, he he does. But 
Um, I believe him when he says that he has had discussions with Kyle Seager because what what is he what does he gain from lying about that? Uh, really, I I just I believe that he's at least had some discussions. I don't know, you know, if they've been you know deep discussions, but I'm sure that they've at least said hi to one another and have had you know some mild conversations because naturally they're going to because Jerry Depoto comes out onto the field sometimes, he comes out for batting practice and stuff. They are they are going to naturally just converse. So I assume that they've had at least some discussions. I don't know how deep or how uh, big they've been, but I, I I have a hard time believing that they haven't talked in years. And so for him to to come out and say that when it's over, when the when the season's already over, his time in Seattle's already over, and to to say that for what point? What's the point of saying that if you're Kyle Seager? Really, it just mm-hmm. it seems silly. It just why burn that bridge? Why continue to make that relationship worse? Especially when we know that Seager is going to come back at some point. He's either going to sign, you know, a one day contract to retire as a Mariner and all that good stuff. And he's eventually going to be put in the Mariners Hall of Fame. Rightfully so. Why? so. Yeah, rightfully so, too. And, and again, this is not to bash Kyle Seager. I love Kyle Seager, but it's hurt me that he has acted this way this year. And, and some of the things that I've heard about him this year is just it, it hurts to hear because Kyle Seager is awesome. He's one of the my favorite Mariners of all time. Uh, so, yeah, that's just it's been really sad to to kind of witness this year. But, you know, it is what it is that it's over. And hopefully that's the end of it. Like we talked about on last week's show when we talked about the Depoto and Seager stuff. Hopefully this is it. This is over. We don't need to have any more back and forth. It's silly. I don't need to hear more from Jerry Depoto. I don't need to hear more from Kyle Seager. Let's just move on. Let's just take what the, you know, the great send off that he had and just look at that as the end. Cause that was, that was very beautiful. The way that they handled it, everything, the way that Scott service handled it, taking him out, letting him have the ovation, getting the base and all that stuff. It was great. Um, so yeah, let's, let's just focus on that and move on. And hopefully Seager goes on to have, you know, a great, you know, last few years to his career elsewhere. And, um, you know, eventually when he comes back, all this can be, you know, water under the bridge, but that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for joining us here on Locked On Mariners for Colby Patnode. I'm Titan Gonzalez. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners. You can follow me at Dane Gonzalez. It's D-A-N-E-G-N-Z-L-Z and Colby at CPAT11. That's C-P-A-T-1-1. You can also find all that stuff in the description of this episode. Thank you again for making Locked On Mariners your first listen of the day every day. Now make your second listen of the day Locked On MLB where Paul Francis Sullivan and please call him Sully brings you his unique perspective on the Major League's president pass it's free and available on all platforms have yourself a beautiful baseball day and we'll see you tomorrow